Welcome to the Free Your Energy Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Um, thank you so much for having me here. How are you today? I'm good. So first, let's get your name right for the listeners here. We talked about this uh, pre-show. Pronounce your name for us. So my name is Nawal, um, and it's spelled exactly how it's pronounced. Um, a lot of people tend to say Noel, and sometimes I let it happen, but I really appreciate when people ask me how to pronounce it and pronounce it right. Noel. Mm-hmm. Noel. And what <laughs> what are the origins of your name? You have a very uncommon name to my American-trained eyes. So where does this name come from? So it's actually funny. Uh, my name is a word that is an Arabic word, and um, my parents... Uh, they lived inside a university in Pakistan when I was born, um, and they really respected our neighbor, who was a well-respected professor, and they gave him the honor of naming me. So he picked out this Arabic name for me that means gift. Um, and a lot of people tend to think I'm Arabic because of my name, but uh, yeah, that's how it kind of came. I, that's how I was named Noel. <laughs> that's a very... Uh, unique story and, and and for your name to represent gift uh, what would you say obviously this changes as your life changes but present day what would you say are your gifts presently yeah it definitely does change as life changes uh, you're so right about that um, I think currently for me my knowledge is my gift and I feel really honored and humbled to be able to um, really um, exhibit that knowledge in a way that's understandable to an audience that might not have that knowledge um, by going through school or taking courses. And I'm really proud that I can offer this to other people. Okay, so the gift of knowledge. It just makes me think, being a writer, creator myself, and uh, someone who's been through schooling and schooling of life, just it seems like some of the most member, memorable people across time have been people who have had a, a wealth of knowledge or a wealth of uh, some type of skill. So what would you say your gifts or knowledge? What would you say your skill is? Present day, mm. present day. It's so difficult to talk myself up I, I haven't been doing that um, much, but I think I think what I would say some of my skills or strengths are would be to, um, I've always been very creative. I actually wanted to be an artist, um, a painter, actually. I used to oil paint a lot when I was a kid, um, and I brought that up to my parents, and they completely were against that idea. So this creativeness comes out now um, in the way I communicate my messages to people and just the way I do my work in general. So that creative mindset and taking complex things and simplifying it is, I think, uh, a skill that comes out of that creativity. Um, so I think that would be a skill for me. And um, another thing that I believe that is very important uh, for me is uh, emp empathy. So me being empathic in the way I um, use my words in such an empathic way really uh, resonates with other people and that would be something that I would consider a skill definitely yeah I definitely think 
your creativity is for sure one of your skills. Um, I remember when you first started uh, your The Brain Coach Instagram page, which for the people listening, definitely uh, follow on Instagram, The Brain Coach Instagram. Uh, beautiful, not only aesthetically, but as well as the copy that you use, the copyright that you use, um, as well as just the topics. Um, it relates very similar to my page with uh, some of the the things we're talking about. Um, for you guys who don't know, we're actually doing something very special. For the very first time, we're going to be doing two episodes. One that's going to be focused on some very specific topics, which will come out next week. Um, but today, we really want to dive in to her story. So make sure you guys follow the Brain Coach on Instagram.com. So let's let's dive in a little bit with. Who were you as a little girl when you were just a young girl? Who were you? Did you like cereal? Did you stay up late? You know, what were some of the, I know you mentioned the oil painting. What were some of the other things you were into? Um, I think the environment I was raised in is so different from uh, anything North America offers, honestly. So I was, I was, I was raised in Pakistan. Uh, my parents were both professors there. So what they do there is they have a community inside the university. So the university is gated. Um, only certain people can go in and out. So I was raised, born and raised basically inside that university until we immigrated. Um, so there was professors next door. There was professors on the street um, the the next street, just everywhere. We we, we were all in the same environment and as a kid there was no technology we had this big computer um the dial-up internet you know just all those uh, things that a lot of people a lot of younger generations don't know about um so i we would actually take my favorite thing to do would be to take the lids of buckets and play frisbee outside with my neighborhood kids or um just play games. We were out all day, um, didn't care about the bugs in the yard, just just played. Um, and it was such innocent and good times. Um, and then in my free time, I would like to paint sometimes or um, just go explore. I think I was outside way more than I was ever inside. Um, and uh, we did go to a private school. So a bus would pick us up, from the university, take us to the private school and then come back. And uh, that school was itself very, uh, I think it was very competitive. So as a kid, I also dealt with a lot of comparisons and um, my best friend was the top of the class. So, you know, there was a little bit of those struggles, but when I came home, I just checked out, just went outside and didn't care about really anything in the world except just playing with everyone in that street. And we all knew each other. We all knew each other's parents. It was an amazing time. How many of those relationships, at least to your knowledge or for your personal experience, are still present and, and still active today now that you guys are, you know, adults? Honestly, I only know that best friend that I was talking about. So her her mom was best friends with my mom and we would see each other almost every evening. Um, so there was these two families uh, that my mom was very close to and these are the only two families I know at this point which is kind of uh when I think about it it's kind of um sad just to like it sucks but uh you know we find each other on Facebook but we just cannot connect in that way even these families people that I 
was really good friends with and uh, really share a lot of good memories with. We are so different now um, because I came here at 12 when I was 12 years old. And um, the way we are raised here is very different from there. So it's very hard to connect on the same level. Um, the expectations are very different now. So even though I know a couple of people, it's just not the same. And you said you came here. Where is here? When you when you left Pakistan at 12, where'd you go? Uh, we actually went to Vancouver, British Columbia in Canada. So beautiful, beautiful city. Um, and we immigrated to Surrey, specifically the city. Uh, and we stayed there till I was in grade 11. Uh, it's funny, though, we actually ended up, my parents refused to just take any job because they were um, they were proud and they wanted to do something related to their field of education, not, you know, drive a taxi or whatever else. So we were moving around a lot when I first came to Surrey. It was, I think I went to six different high schools. Uh, every year I was a new kid. And uh, ultimately we, in my grade 12, my final year, we came to Ontario and my parents finally found a permanent job. Uh, and I think that's when we finally felt like we were settling. And this was seven years after immigration. Man, six different high schools. And Vancouver, Vancouver's beautiful. I, I mm -hmm. love it up there. I, I love it. I'm actually considering, um, obviously not now during COVID, you, you guys aren't, you know, Canada, they're not going to let any Americans in there. But <laughs> <laughs> when things are you know, back to the way they used to be, if that ever is going to happen again. I would love to consider uh, getting a spot in Vancouver. Uh, we're living in Arizona. It gets really hot in the summer times. And uh, I just love being outside. I love how green it is up there. And then you moved to Ontario. What, what part of Ontario? So we moved right, uh, a city that borders Detroit. So it's Windsor, Ontario, south of the very most southern city in Ontario. And we, I think I can, in a 10-minute drive, I can be in Detroit. So we're very close to Detroit, but our city itself is very small. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is there a connection that you feel as far as value system that you feel from your experience living in Canada that you could relate to your experience uh, in Pakistan? And when I say value system, I mean like the people around you, you know, what they what they value, what they care about. Do you feel a, a similar connection there? That's a really interesting question, because I think I've thought about this quite a lot. Um, my the way I was raised in Pakistan, I'm not completely using that value system. So the culture that I was raised in, um, but I don't completely agree with the value system of how um, some of my peers at this age are um, raised in. So I think like, so I come from a very codependent culture where, um, you know, you respect your elderly, you say, you do what they say, you, it's very difficult for me, even as a young adult, it was very difficult for me to do anything um, by, for myself. You know, um, I think, that really started to happen when I was around 24. I'd already graduated. I was entering my master's. Um, I was in my master's that year, actually. So it took a really long time for me to uh, find myself in a way because there was such a huge influence 
from the value system from back home. And there was a point where I was actually starting to hate it. I hated where I came from and I just felt like the odd one out. Um, so I think because of that, although I really respect some of the values that are from that culture, for example, um, just the morals and ethics of how to treat people, um, it's, you know, um, especially in relationships, a lot of that comes from how I was raised in my through my culture. Um, I've never, I think with relationships, I've always had really long-term relationships. It's never been, um, you know, just trying things out and figuring it out. I had very strict boundaries with how um, someone could treat me. And if they weren't meant for me, I just didn't even go on a second date, you know. And I think that came from how my parents raised me and how my culture sees relationships. Uh, we just go in thinking that, okay, this is going to be long term and you're going to get married and, you know, which is not the right mindset to look at, look through, but it's like, okay, what do you really seek in a relationship? And it comes to, for me, it comes down to, I don't want to waste my time, but I want to learn about people and uh, I want to be treated well. So that that is one of the main values that I picked up from my own culture. Um, but other than that, I feel like I'm kind of acculturated to the Western society in a in a deep way. So I don't know where I completely fit, but I'm kind of a mix of both value systems. That's very very interesting. To you know, identity is something that. It's, I don't even know if it's real. And that's something I've been, been trying to figure out. You know, is identity even a real thing? Because it is, because we attach ourselves to so many different parts of perceptions of identity. Like, you know, man, woman, you know, uh, age, you know, physical appearance, the socioeconomic status, you know. Um, I come from a single parent household or both parents together. Like we have all of these different elements of really story, right? It's a story. We have all these different elements of our stories and we attach ourselves to so many different elements of identity. And that's why I'm really trying to figure out if, you know, identity is even real. Like, for example, I just, I asked you at the beginning to, you know, describe like your, your strength as far as like your strengths, your skills, your gifts. And you said something that was so interesting to me. You're like, oh, well, I don't really talk myself up that much. And I'm just curious, like, where does that come from? Where you're like, oh, I'm not going to talk myself up. Is it, is it, are you, are you shy? Are you a shy person? You know, you have phenomenal work. You're doing great work in academia. And it's like, what you're doing does need to be talked about, in my opinion. It does need to be lifted up. It does need to be elevated. You know, so is it, that's just not a part of your identity where you're just very humble and calm? Like, walk me through kind of like the back end of your mindset around, what I'm throwing at you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, first of all, I want to say that identity is very fluid and dynamic. I think a lot of people get stuck on this idea. Okay. Who am I? What am I? And just really try to think of identity in a permanent, something that is just very inherent. I think it changes as we grow and it really uh, just, it's something that's a lifelong learning experience. So yeah, you know, I, is it real? 
the present moment of what you think you are or who you think you are, yes, that identity is real, but I don't think that's going to stay that same way, maybe in five five years down the road and so on. Um, but the the question that you asked about what's going on when I say, like, I don't like to talk myself up in a way, um, I think it's more about taking up space for me. Um, it's It's funny because I actually really encourage everyone to take up space and to um, tell themselves that, you know, you belong here, you belong in every room you walk into, and that's the mindset that you should be going in with. But that's a reminder I have to keep telling myself too, because there is that, that imposter syndrome still is very real. I just sometimes feel like, you know, it's just, um, it's, I am not deserving to be in a specific space. And um, when I really sit down and think about it, it's like, no, I, I need to take up space. That's how I grow. And that's how everyone grows. So um, yeah, it's more, it's not, it's about that humbling part too, but it's more about that fear of taking up space and um, coming off as arrogant or um, just full of myself, which I don't think I am. So I just, I don't know, there's some fear there that I'm not fully processing yet i'm gonna put a challenge to you uh, because Mm -hmm. i think it's something that could align with maybe accessing you know that fear or maybe just diving in a little more for your own journey so what i'm going to challenge you to do uh in whatever format you know feels genuine to you whether that's you know doing a, a blog on your website or you know just doing a post on instagram or maybe on your next podcast show or interview, or if that question comes up again, my challenge is I want you to be your biggest cheerleader for a moment, you know, and actually say like, look, this is, this is what I've done. This is what I'm doing. This is what I represent. This is my championship. This is my victory. Like really, like really claim it. I just want you to, i like, I just challenge you to do it, you know? And the most important part, I think, is not actually that. I think it's how you feel on the on the back end after you do it, not while you're doing it. After you do it, I just I'm really curious as to how you think you'll feel, you know, because one thing I can tell you is there's so many beautiful artists in the world. And I consider what you do art uh, sharing knowledge that impacts other people is art to me. And. One of the things that I believe a lot of artists lack is the ability to sell themselves, quote unquote. And the word sell, I know it triggers people to have different, some people love sales. Some people are like, sales, oh, this is, oh, turning it <laughs> off. But everything, at some point, we're being sold. I mean, when you apply for a job, you're selling yourself to the company. If you apply for a degree program, you're selling yourself. Hey, take me. I'm a worthy student. Like, we're all selling ourselves. So to me, there's nothing wrong with it. And it's more of like, let, let me understand the psychology of how I'm doing it, why I'm doing it and how I feel when I do it, you know? So I'm just very curious to see how you'll feel, sell yourself for 60 seconds or a full Instagram post, like on what you've done. It's not, to me, it's not, I don't look at that as cocky. I don't look at that as arrogant because I know that imposter syndrome it gets to so many people, uh, regardless of how successful you are or how, how much you do. We all are, are going to experience some type of imposter syndrome, especially when, you know, we're going to the next level. Um, 
So I'm I'm gonna put that challenge out for you and give me some feedback. Text me, call me, come back <laughs> on the podcast. Yeah, that's what I want you to do. I want you to come back on the podcast and I want you to tell us deep dive how that experience went from there. How does that sound? Deal? I, I absolutely love that idea. I think uh, it's I, this is the one thing that I'm really working on because I'm putting myself out there quite a lot now. Um, before, you know, I'm just I was just buried in books for the last seven, eight years. I've just been in my program and just with like these 12 people that have been with me um, throughout. So this is a really powerful challenge for me. And I think that is something that I since I'm already working on very consciously, this is something that I'm actually excited to do. Um, it's, uh, you know, I, I just had my dissertation proposal uh, completed maybe a, a little over a month ago, and it's one of the biggest milestones in my PhD. And when I was doing the, um, the trial, the practice trial with my professor, my supervisor, she's like, you cannot... You have to go in and really, she used the word sell yourself or something like empower yourself. Uh, so like you go in and right when you start the presentation, you tell everyone, hey, I worked so hard for this and I'm so excited to tell you what I've done. And I really hope you love it as much as I do, rather than, you know, trying to discredit yourself and your efforts. And I did that. And I think the way um, my energy resonated with a lot of the committee members and they were feeling similarly to how I was feeling because naturally humans tend to mirror the emotion that they see in another person. And I think that doing this on a podcast, so like next week I'm doing another podcast and I I, I think I'm going to do this and I'm going to, I'll let you know, I'll let you know how this goes because that's a really good challenge to um, work on. Okay. I want to know. Keep me in, keep me in your loop. Here's a perfect question for you. I'm really curious to you know uh, if you are a politician, what is one policy that you would care about that you would make like your campaign? They're going to pitch this policy to try to get voters. What's something that you really, really would care about? And it could be. You know, I know you're in Canada, but I also know you know a lot about United States. So just pick for you whatever's most comfortable. Hmm. You know, I'm I'm not too into politics, but something that's personally affected me is student loans. So, you know, just education, the education system is not the best, I would say, um, in general. And then on top of that, People are discouraged to pursue further education because, um, you know, it's not affordable, especially in the States. I'm, I'm actually shocked to hear how much more uh, expensive graduate programs are there. Um, even just talking to my fellow uh, colleagues, so other psychologists in training in the States, they're paying at least five times more what I pay. Uh, so I would say just really trying to uh, navigate the system in a way that promotes education without leading students to go in extreme debt. Uh, I think that would be a dream and I think it's possible. So that's what I would do. Well, you got my vote. So <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I totally agree. Uh, I think it's a common thing um, amongst people who go to education and use education 
uh, for their work that you kind of you see the value in education, um, but you don't see the value in how much it costs. And when for me that I've actually been out of college for over a decade now and been into the world and traveled a little bit and you kind of see the the how the economy is set up. Well, the economy is not, in my opinion, it's not really set up as far as see my end game. My end point is always like, how does this impact our mental health and our physical health? Like that's always my end game when I'm looking at things. So when I'm looking at the way college is set up, I don't really see it impacting mental health and physical health in the positive way. I see it actually being a negative because you go to college, you're going to get sixty to a hundred thousand dollars of debt for your undergraduate degree, somewhere mm-hmm. in there, sixty to a hundred thousand. So now, let's say you don't pursue uh, a higher education, you get into the workforce. So you're going to get into the workforce at the age of twenty-two to twenty-four, depending on your your speed. And what are you going to do? You're going to come in as the upper manager or CEO? No, you're going to be entry level. Entry levels at this point is going to pay anywhere from like forty to like seventy thousand dollars. But then what we're doing is we also, at least in America, we have a very high cost of living. Mm-hmm. So you have a high cost of living. You have the student loan debt, which now has an interest on top. You have a low salary or a low entry point for your income. And then we're obviously going to need housing. And if you're 24 years old, you don't want to live with your parents. You know, you want to get out in the dating world. You want to get out with your friends and, you know, go to different things. You can't be coming in. You got, you know, your 60-year-old parents in the house or 50 or whatever. They're they're trying to get you out of the house. They're trying to live their <laughs> life without you, you know? So you just create this dynamic. Well, now it's like, okay, well, people are going to need roommates then. And you just create this dynamic where people have, you know, they have a very expensive car note. They have a low entry as far as financial income, but then they have high debt. And then let's not even talk about the people who get into like credit card debt. So it just like, it just creates this like overwhelming, like, how am I going to get out of this feeling? So I know you're finishing school. Do you have a, a plan? Do you have a financial plan? Have you thought about like, how am I going to pay all this stuff off as someone who is still finishing up? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think uh, I totally agree with that. I think the system is so um, really against the mental health of students when it comes to how to navigate financial um, situations. Like for grad school, at least Canada tries to support us um, through our education, but I know America doesn't do that. For me, I have basically almost no debt from grad school because they support me throughout. They give me money in scholarships or graduate assistantships and so on. But undergrad, you know, I'm still 50K in debt. And that's something that obviously I think about. So when I graduate, how am I going to pay that off? And the, the workload is insane as a PhD student, as a full-time master's student too. But I think it really motivated me to start something now to really work on myself so I, ha- I am financially able to pay my loans off and really have the freedom to choose the career that I want rather than just taking any job that comes my way. But I think a lot of people struggle with that where you graduate and you know you had so much time in school and then you're just desperate to get a job because your loan interest is piling up and you know you want to live on your own and it's just uh, it's just crazy so 
the impact on mental health is going to be detrimental because of that. So I think people need to be very cautious about, okay, how am I, what is my plan? What, where do I go once I am graduating? So they don't get stuck in that, um, sucked into that loop of desperation almost. Walk me through when you're going to make a post on Instagram, walk me through where the genesis of that idea comes up, the research, the cultivation of the actual graphic. Walk me through from start to finish how you cultivate your Instagram post. So it's a, I think it's a combination of a lot of things. Um, it, w- the idea. So how I, cr- I come up with the idea is some things that just go on in my life. So a lot of things that I talk about on Instagram, I haven't mastered them myself. You know, these are constant struggles that a lot of us experience, and, including me. So sometimes I am struggling with something and, uh, you know, or I have struggled with something in the past that was really like it meant everything in that time. Uh, and I really talk about some of those things a lot in my uh, Instagram. But I also listen to what people ask. So a lot of people message me and like, hey, can you make a post about this? Or, hey, I'm struggling with this. And although I can't give them personal advice, I let them know, hey, like, keep an eye out. I'm going to make a post and I hope that's helpful for you. Um, and then once I get these ideas, I usually uh, write them down. Um, so I, the one thing that I do is I'm very well organized. So anything that comes up, I have these documents and I just, you know, I can go back and be like, okay, I'll make a post about this today. And then comes the research part. So I don't take um, research lightly. I uh, take information from, you know, uh, like medical blogs, psychology blogs, uh, research articles. So I have um, my university provides me with various research engine memberships. So I just go look up research and see, okay, what have people done on this topic and what have they found? And I kind of compile it all together to see what can be helpful for people when they either to become aware of the situation or to apply the knowledge and use it to overcome that specific situation. So with the research part, did you, it was, was there a class that you took? Is that, you know, cause that's a skill. Learning how to research something is a skill. Was that taught to you or is that something that you kind of just figured out? I was definitely taught that we took one research class in undergrad, but throughout master's uh, and PhD, the, one of the biggest things we do is research. So we have to, you know, create our own thesis on a project and, you know, really understand the literature review behind it before we come up with something because we have to make sure that something that we have come up with is completely new and is based off of previous evidence. So I think it's a lot to do with the way I was taught in school. Um, and it just, it comes naturally at this point. Mm. Okay. And then what's your, cause you're balancing the, being a PhD, PhD student, plus you're also starting, you know, your own brand and business. Um, you're balancing a lot and you said you're organized. So like, talk me through like your organization, how you structure your day, how you figure where to put your time. Yeah. Um, so one of the things I've picked up now is, um, you know, the last few minutes, at least last 30 minutes before you go to bed are very important. Um, really, I highly discourage people to watch 
be watching TV or doing something very mindless, like scrolling through Instagram on um, in the last 30 minutes. What I do with that, with those 30 minutes is I come up with my schedule for the next day. So I make a list of things that need to be done by tomorrow. And I have a, I ha, I created this sheet, um, you know, just this time sheet that, you know, okay, so wake up at 7am and then what do I do? And I really like chunk my time out. Um, this way there's very less procrastination in between because I know, okay, you know, nine o'clock hit, like, what do I got to do now? And I make sure that I incorporate um, aspects of self-care in that as well. So usually in the mornings, I try to get my workout in and then, you know, have a cup of coffee very mindfully. And then I start my day and it really allows me to recharge um, and then get that um, routine going. And routine is probably the most important thing. And scheduling the routine allows us to not procrastinate in between those hours that, you know, because if you're your own boss, you're creating your own deadlines. It's very hard to keep those deadlines if you're not keeping accountable. So I think uh, really organizing myself every night helps me um, be the best and stay on top of my game the next day. And then you mentioned your workout. I got to know as a as a former professional athlete, I was a professional athlete for three years. I did college sports and high school and peewee. So I need to know, <laughs> what are you doing? What do you, what's your workout? What type of things are you into? Talk me through that. Um, well, I, I really enjoy working out. I think, uh, I, my favorite thing to do is strength training, but since gyms have been closed, I've been trying to, um, buy as much equipment as I can. Um, you know, I, I, with my siblings too, we just have created a gym in the garage. Um, it's not the best, but it, it, it is, it does the job. So basically strength training would be my favorite thing to do. So, you know, squats, squats, lunges, deadlifts, all the good stuff. Um, but I'm not, uh, a fan of heavy lifting. I don't think it's necessary. Um, so, you know, just getting, and I, I like to do, I really like to do, uh, supersets. So, so get that cardio in while you're strength training. That's the best, um, way to do things for me. Um, and then obviously cardio when needed is, would be high intensity interval training, but yeah, I really enjoy just, um, going to the gym and taking that time for myself, just plugging in my music. Um, and it's funny, I don't really like going with people because this is like my zone. No one disturbs <laughs> me. Talk, yeah, I hear you. So talk to me, talk to me about, uh, I'm sure people perceive you as a positive person, you know, so how do you, any positive person can tell you this, like you're not always positive, you know, you're not always at your highest frequency. You're not always thinking clear, you're not always processing things the best way. So when you get in those lower lower vibrations those those lower patterns what are some of the tactics that you use to get yourself out or to self identify you know talk me through that that kind of self healing process for you yeah um definitely pos stay, being positive all the time is just unrealistic for sure um so what happens to me is i'm i've been dealing with just feeling anxious, uh, especially when it has to do with my workload or my goals. Um, so a lot of my low moods and uh, anxiety comes from the expectations I have of myself. And sometimes 
uh, it's helpful to either, so I have a support system. My partner's really supportive. My family's really supportive. So I, I have people that I can talk to, even my friends. Um, but what I really tend to do usually is I, when I'm feeling overwhelmed, I'm, I have this ability to now become aware of my feelings. It, it took a very long time to get here because it was never something that uh, I was taught growing up. But now when I'm feeling all these symptoms in my body and my mind's just racing, I just take some time and I'm like, okay, what do I need right now? What can I do to figure out where this anxiety is coming from and how do I stop or minimize it? So really just checking in with myself and allowing myself to do exactly what I need to relax myself in the moment and then find a game plan. So be accountable for what I need to do because when we're feeling down, it's very easy for us to just shut down and not do anything and just procrastinate. And I think it's really important to, you know, be just take some time to just be for a bit. But there has to be a point where we have to go back to what we need to get done or what we need to what feelings we need to process, because otherwise, they'll just come back. So I think that's my way, just checking in with myself and really understanding what I need in the moment. This concludes episode 77. Episode 78, the continuation of this conversation, will air tomorrow at the same time. Thank you for listening to the Free Your Energy Podcast.